right? It's like, oh, I think I can see something. I'm going to test it. And then when it works and you get some money in the bank, you're like, wow, that is a cool feeling. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast where I bring you stories of fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. Today, I'm joined by Millie Tamati, who is not your usual founder. She lives on a remote island off of the coast of Scotland with a population of just 170 people. She previously co-owned a hostel in Thailand, co-founded a wine tour in Australia and founded an illustration agency in the UK. Now, Millie is working on a community called Generalist World, where she's helping generalists like us indie hackers find like-minded individuals and jobs that fit as well. Now, a few years ago, I moved out of London to my hometown and have felt super isolated ever since, especially as a solo founder, which is why I feel so fortunate to have the ramen club community I can hang out with. Today's guest, Millie, is an absolute advocate of communities like this, and she explains why I value this community so highly. Now that so many of us are working online remotely, you're not alone in feeling like that. There are so many other people feeling the exact same way. And the beauty of the internet is it means that we can come together. It doesn't matter where we are in the world. There is an online community basically for everything. So I think really tapping into, leaning into and embracing communities wherever you might find Mm. them is really important. So if you want to join the community that you can be a part of and help you get to ramen profitability and beyond, join me and others at ramenclub.so and use the code IndieBikes to get 50% off your first month. Let's get into this episode. Millie, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? Great. Thank you so much for having me. This is one of my favorite podcasts. So I'm really, really excited to be here and chat to you. So let's talk about something that really interests me. You're a Kiwi, you're from New Zealand, you've been around the world. How do you end up on an isle off Scotland with just 170 people and what's it like to live there? To kind of give some context, I'm originally from New Zealand. I grew up in a very, very small farming town. I decided to leave in 2012 for my one-year trip. Mine has lasted 10 years. (laughs) I've never quite made it back. I've been traveling through, I think, around 65 plus countries and living in about 15 of them. My partner, he makes whiskey. So Scotch whiskey. He got offered a position here and we are both super transient kind of people anyway. And we thought, you know what, that could be a really amazing once in a lifetime experience to go and live on this tiny island. So we've been here for about 18 months. Now, I remember you did a tweet saying, like, ask me questions about what it's like living on this island. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that came from the answers on that Twitter thread that people are most interested in? Or what interesting things you think are about living on this super remote island? I think in general, people are just really curious because now it's so normal to live in these big mega cities, right? And it's almost like, in a way, going back in time, living on this little island. It's it's a place where um, you don't have to lock your door. We don't have police. You know everyone. So it's been a real contrast because I'm also really deeply involved in this tech startup scene from this little island. So it 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 almost sometimes feels like I'm I'm living two different lives. I also want to leap back to embracing remote work. For me, I lived in a city for 
five years. I lived in London. I absolutely loved it. When COVID happened, I moved back to my hometown. It's still a city, but it's a smaller city. And you know what, Millie? I feel a little bit isolated here. I feel like I miss London. I feel like I miss the energy it gave me. I have really down days here because I think it's boring and there's not enough going on. But there's just some sort of energy that London gives me. Living all the way up in the highlands in this island of 170 people do you ever miss the city life totally it's it's a it's a fine balance getting that right so i've just spent some time in london and lisbon and it's really important to intentionally plan those trips and make sure that we are getting outside of the the little highland bubble because it can be really easy to fall into like it's very comfortable it's very safe so it's really important for us to get off the island and go and visit cities. And I think the other side of that is also tapping into communities. Now that so many of us are working online remotely, you're not alone in feeling like that. There are so many other people feeling the exact same way. And the beauty of the internet is it means that we can come together it doesn't matter where we are in the world. There is an online community basically for everything. So I think really tapping into, leaning into and embracing communities wherever you might find mm. them is really important. Now, before we get on to what you're working on now, which is quite interesting, can you tell me some of the things, some of the crazy things you've done in the past that sort of led you to this indie founder entrepreneurship route? Absolutely. Um, my, I guess from a career standpoint, it has been quite non-linear and non-traditional. I kind of got my start in the travel industry. I was employee number two at a tour company based in the Philippines. And that was my first experience of building something from nothing. And we ended up growing that company to be the number one tour in the Philippines, Sri Lanka and Japan, which was quite amazing. So I kind of built this tour company with these guys and we're still friends to this day. They're fantastic people. But then I realized I can actually do this on my own. I, I know everything. I, I'd like to give this a go on my own. And so I moved to Australia and I saw a gap in the market. There's a beautiful place called Mornington Peninsula. It's just outside of Melbourne. And I co-founded a hop-on, hop-off wine tour there. Basically combined my love of tour and wine. And that was pretty awesome. And it, again, it's just like you get all these little notches on your belt of confidence. I'd then moved to mm. the UK in March 2020. So just obviously as COVID hit, there was a total drop in tourism. And I found myself at this point where I was like, I have to reinvent myself somehow. My whole career has kind of been tourism. I'm not really sure what's next. And that's when my generalist nature kind of kicked in. I began exploring tons of different avenues from writing to consulting. I started a custom illustration agency, actually had my first customer within 12 hours, which was kind of amazing. And it happened so quickly, I didn't even have an artist to fulfill the order. So that was a, a <laughs> bit of a scramble. But to be honest, at the end of the day, it was always a side business. It didn't really like kind of light me on fire or didn't I couldn't see myself doing it super long term and then I came across my previous role which was with a mental health tech startup based out of Singapore bravely.io fantastic doing some incredible work and my official contractor title there 
was the director of miscellaneous. <laughs> the most general job title you could get. Tell me about that agency getting the first customer in 12 hours, because many people would want to start an agency with seeing the popularity of these productized services or one-person mm-hmm. agencies. What did you do to get the customer so quickly? Well, I'm a bit of a data nerd. So one day I was digging through Google's data of what people are searching for, and I saw that there was a really high number of people searching for these custom website illustrations. And then when I looked at what the options Mm. were, I was like, it's not great. And so I just built a really quick landing page and I drove Google Ads traffic to it just as an experiment to see if anyone would bite. But yeah, for me, this is the most fun part of building, right? It's like, oh, I think I can see something. I'm going to test it. And then when it works and you get some money in the bank, you're like, wow, that is a cool feeling. So let's talk about what you're doing at the moment. Generalist world, how you started it and what, why you think generalists are so important in this world. I think a lot of indie hackers can relate as founders that, have, that can do a lot of things. Totally. I have a belief that the best founders are generalists. So my skill set, I know it's super valuable to a startup. It's like, would you like to hire one person instead of three? The answer is probably going to be yes. It's not a hard sell. So I knew that to be true. But when I really thought about my network, I was like, I don't know anyone else that really works like me, that has a role that's called the director of miscellaneous. And that was the seed. And when I get obsessed with something... I get really obsessed. So I I started to try and find people that looked like me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. The kind of criteria was like cross-functional. They work across lots of different teams. They might be problem solvers. They might be tinkerers. And it has been an absolute whirlwind, James. And I think why it's been a whirlwind is because forever, generalists have been totally overlooked misunderstood and massively undervalued. Like we live in such a specialized world. If you think back to when you were in school, probably want to make a bet that you were told to choose a path and then you choose that path, you go really deep, you specialize, and it's not valued to have this broad knowledge. So I'm kind of questioning that and saying, actually, there is value in this. We just, the, the world hasn't really noticed yet. It's, it's quite phenomenal that something like this doesn't already exist. We started with, I think in June, we had about 10 people. I think by July, we had about 200 members. By August, about 600. And as of last week, I've actually just had to waitlist the membership. We hit 850 members and I felt like we were scaling too fast. Absolutely. I, I'm fully on board with it. I think it's a wonderful explanation. How did you grow it so quickly for those for those initial members? And how many of those were sort of these paid members? And talk me through how you started making money from it as well. So my strategy is totally do all the things that don't scale at the moment. So I have yeah. been super vocal on social media, on Twitter and LinkedIn. And it doesn't take much. Like it just takes one person to see it. And if they identify as a generalist, because they have never fit into any other communities, it is an easy sell. I've made so many like 
so I, I don't know if I'd call them mistakes, but so many learnings along the way. Like at first I was like, okay, this is going to be a fully paid community. And now I've shifted it to be basically free access to the community, but with a paid tier of which we have approaching 50 people, which is pretty awesome. That's where 100% of our revenue is coming from at the moment. But I do not see that as being the number one revenue stream. I think where we will really make money is through this kind of talent matching. So basically hand matching generalists, specifically to like early stage or fast growing companies. And so... It's been a crash course for me, understanding how recruitment works. Of course, I've never worked in it, but like <laughs> most indie builders, I don't really mind that. And to be honest, I, I think it's actually worked in my favor because I'm seeing recruitment objectively. I'm seeing all the things that don't work. And I'm like, well, CVs are dumb. Like that's an, why do we have cover letters? That's a bit archaic. So I'm kind of really reimagining the way that we can hire people it is really starting to work what you're doing with generalist world is awesome how are you like cultivating this community because a lot of people will look at your community and go oh it's, it's easy just whip up a slack or a discord or a whatsapp everyone just joins sends messages easy peasy yeah so i saw a tweet the other day and it was perfect it was like a discord server is not a community and i could not agree with that more a community is a living breathing thing i think we I think there is a huge push at the moment, especially from big brands to be like, yeah, community, that's like fashionable. That's a, that's a cool kind of buzzword. Let's do that. And because of that, community is getting a really bad name because they're, they're creating these spaces and then there's no facilitation. It's just like, okay, well, fingers crossed. Hopefully people kind of engage. So the way I kind of look at it, I see myself as like a host, like say we're at a dinner party and my role as the person who's leading the community is to make sure that we are having a fantastic dinner party, that I'm aware of people's dietary requirements, that I know why people have come to the dinner party in the first place. I know if someone's a little bit anxious, they might need a little help. I know if someone is there to network and I then make those connections. The community doesn't just live on Slack. You have to have something more of substance that backs it up. So for us, that's doing um, weekly events. It's doing workshops, discussions. It's very convenient that the generalist world community are full of like incredibly talented, <laughs> diverse, really interesting people. So the workshops are kind of coming out our ears because there are so many people with so much to share. And then the final point of that is also real life meetups. So taking it from the digital world to the real world. And we had our first meetup in London. That's why I came down to London. And we went out for some tacos and some beers. And it was fantastic to get everyone together and actually form these like genuine real life connections with people who are similar. Well, Millie, your community sounds like a lovely place to be. Your passion for it is really shining through. Now, I end every episode on three recommendations, a book, a podcast and an indie hacker you're inspired by. 
Yes. So the book, it's called Range by David Epstein, and it's about how generalists can triumph in a specialized world. It's fantastic. The podcast I would recommend is called Lenny's Podcast. It's actually for product people, but there is, I, I take something away every week from it. And the person I would like to recommend is Molly Retta. She's a wonderful human. She's been an early supporter of Generalist World, and she's building a productivity app called Goblin, which is fantastic. So I'm happy to link her details as well. Amazing. Millie, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. appreciate it. Thanks, James. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Bites. All links to everything discussed will be in the show notes as always. And that includes the links to today's sponsor, Ramen Club, the best community for indie hackers. And finally, if you have a podcast and editing takes up all of your time, drop me a message to help you out. I run a podcast editing service called Pop Panda to help you get your time back and fire up your production value. But that's all from me. I'll see you next week.